Hi everyone, Dan Cassidy here. Welcome to the Washington Weekly Podcast on the UBS In The Now podcast channel. Our conversation today will bring you up to speed on a range of developments within the Beltway and beyond. Uh, Joining me for the conversation, as always, glad to welcome back Shane Lieberman, Federal Affairs Manager with the UBS U.S. Office of Public Policy in Washington, D.C. So, Shane, great to be with you here on a Tuesday. Looking forward to catching up, and thank you for dropping by for the podcast today. Thank you, Dan. It's good to be with you. Absolutely. So plenty to cover since we last spoke, Shane. I know gun control in particular, unfortunately, has reemerged as a very pressing national item to address amongst lawmakers. This, of course, in response to the string of tragic mass shooting events across the country here in recent weeks. Now, there seems to be a lot of bipartisan support around this initiative. I've heard recently the Senate announced a bipartisan gun control framework. So, Shane, can you speak to what the framework consists of and what might be some next steps here? Yeah, great, great question, Dan. And, you know, I think, you know, unfortunately, over the years, you and I have talked about uh, guns a few times. And, you know, it's always after a tragedy. And we had these two tragedies um, most recently um, in Buffalo, New York and Uvalde, Texas, may have actually um, this time resulted in real action. And you had uh, Republicans, Democrats sitting down and having a good, honest conversation uh, where, you know, um, Democrats uh, said to Republicans, we understand that, you know, you're you can't sign off on certain things. But what can you agree to? And they had a very healthy back and forth. And they had this working group that was bipartisan has seemed to come up with a um, proposal that will get um at least 10 republican support maybe even maybe maybe 20 or more um that remains to be seen as you know the final details need to be worked out but um they're on the precipice of actually um passing legislation in reaction um so what is in this bill it's kind of got a few major components the first is mental health um mental health uh, seems to be a, a common underlying theme in all these recent shootings. And so I think you've seen both sides um, putting a lot of resources and major investments to increase access to mental health and suicide prevention programs. Um, Another big one is, you know, there hasn't been a major change in background checks uh, in years, but we now, uh, it looks like they're going to make one, which is to say that someone who buys a gun today and they're 18 years old you know, they may get a background check, but because they're 18, um, they really don't have a history to look at because uh, juvenile records typically are not um, allowed in this. So what this is doing is saying, you know, if you're 18 or 19 or so, you know, um, when they do a background check, law enforcement uh, will search for any disqualifying mental health or juvenile records. Um, and so it's not like an 18-year-old is born just a day ago in in relation to having a background check it's going to actually consider what you know um the juvenile record which uh you know could be a major change uh going forward um additionally uh school safety resources you know in in the past you know uh, 20 years we've seen school safety being upgraded to try and deal with um, school shooters, you know, everyone remembers Columbine, but in the aftermath of Columbine, a lot of these security measures were to upgrade at high schools, you know, 
And unfortunately, the, some of these recent shootings have been in elementary or middle schools. So those um, primary and secondary schools, you know, were, were treated differently. So uh, I think this will cast a wider net in trying to harden schools and protect from um, such such violent actions. Um, so those are kind of the basic contours. Um, oh, one other is red flag laws, which um, Florida actually enacted on their own. And I think a total of 19 states uh, have acted. And this takes into account, um, uh, you know, mental health and, and saying, hey, someone is not acting right. They seem to be going through a mental health episode. We should flag them and, you know, not, not let them have access to guns. So this bill would um, not mandate that states have red flag laws, but encourage it. Uh, and giving them resources should they enact red flag laws. So um, those are the basic contours of the, of the bill. Um, and we'll see in the coming days and weeks um, as they, you know, kind of dot the I's and cross the T's, if it uh, does actually um, have true bipartisan support and become law. Right now, it, it, it's looking like it's heading in that direction, but nothing is a slam dunk in this area. There's a lot there. So, Shane, thank you for walking us through the framework as it stands today. And, of course, bipartisan efforts towards a matter such as this. A big positive, encouraging to see. And to your point, we shall see how this materializes in the days and weeks to come, something we can follow up on. Uh, switching gears a bit, and this is going back to last week. I know there was the Summit of the Americas that was held in Los Angeles, California. Now, the theme of this year was building a sustainable, resilient, and equitable future. So what are some takeaways you can highlight for us, Shane, from the summit? Yeah, heading into this, um, there was a lot of concern. I I even talked to one person who said this could be a debacle. Um, And the reason that is is because the U.S. opted against inviting uh, certain countries like Cuba, Nicaragua, and Venezuela because of um, political optics and, and those countries' human rights uh, records, and that caused uh, Mexico to pull out, and a few other uh, countries boycotted as well. So it started off on the wrong foot. Um, I believe after President uh, Biden spoke, you know, um, uh, President Belize got up and you know decried excluding some of these countries, and you know how it's not. Uh, helpful to the goal of building unity. So while there are calls to, uh, you know, build unity in the Western Hemisphere, you know, that that was not on the right foot. You know, I don't think the summit was a disaster by any means, um, because, you know, at the end of the day, anytime you're having these conversations, conversations like this are, uh, even while they may not produce a real result, are productive. So I think overall this was productive, but it didn't produce anything, you know, concrete um, that I think will be monumental. There are a lot of proposals um, over the different sessions, um, but, you know, I, I don't think there there was a moment where everyone came together and, you know, kind of banded together for the Western <coughs> Hemisphere, excuse me. So I think, you know, overall, it was an okay summit. I think, um you know, uh, for President Biden, who has built much of his stature on uh, foreign relations, you know, it was a little bit lackluster. But, you know, I think that's kind of the first step um, as some of these countries um, still feel burnt by the Trump administration. So, you know, um, in the long term, this may have been a good first step for the Biden administration. But, 
you know, we're, we're going to have to see how this plays out over the next two years. Okay, well, Shane, thank you for the takeaways. Interesting to hear about the reception of the summit. So before we close out, maybe one more topic we can hit on. So last week also kicked off the hearing surrounding the January 6th insurrection of the U.S. Capitol. We've been covering January 6th here on the podcast for some time now, leading up to this point. So what are some highlights, Shane, and what can we expect this week? I know the hearings are still ongoing. Yeah, there are several more hearings planned. I think from the outset, you know, the January 6th committee is is, is looking to kind of um, demonstrate that the insurrection, <coughs> excuse me, of the Capitol on January 6th was caused by President Trump. So what they've done is started laying out the case that even President uh, Trump's advisors were saying that, you know, uh, Mr. President, you lost. And, you know, him ignoring those calls and still pushing um, his team to uh, and uh, keep going forward and try and find an avenue to victory. And if there was no avenue, you know, that they knew of what could be pursued. And, you know, um, what the committee did was not use their own words to try and lay this out, but through the um, testimony of <clears throat> many Trump aides, used those words. And they kept putting up video of uh, these recorded um, interviews um, with uh, different Trump aides, you know, including Attorney General uh, Barr, who, you know, essentially in in not so kind terms said these claims were ludicrous and that President Trump uh, indeed did lose the election. Uh, Also featured was uh, Ivanka Trump, President Trump's daughter. and that list is, is is much longer than just those two. So you're seeing many facets also coming to light where it appears that, that President Trump and his team raised $250 million um, off of these efforts that were supposed to be for a legal fund and may not have been used. Uh, um, so, you know, I, I think the January 6th committee is going to be trying to paint an entire picture, not just, you know, what happened on the 6th, but the lead up to it. Um, and even some of uh, maybe afterwards, you know, and how President Trump has uh, conducted himself leading up to that, which may have ensued some of the events on January 6th. I think President Trump, as, as you can imagine, is not just going to, you know, shy away. He released a 12-page memo kind of pushing back on this narrative. Um you know, uh, the the January 6th committee supporters have been quick to point out that a lot of what's in that 12 page memo is um, recycled stuff that is unproven and uh, often incorrect. Um, you know, I think in the days ahead, what's going to be an interesting storyline is how the Department of Justice reacts to this. Will they actually take up any criminal charges from um, what comes out of these hearings um, that remains to be seen. Uh, so, you know, and then I think the final thing that we have to think about, obviously, is, you know, what is the impact of these hearings? Are Americans watching and is it changing anyone's view? As as we know, as we've talked about for a long time, there there are, there is a set of Americans who believe uh, very steadfastly in President Trump and whatever he says. And Quite the opposite. There are a set of Americans who believe very steadfastly against President Trump and don't uh, believe anything he says. There's very few Americans who, you know, um, are swayable, we'll say at this point. So are those Americans watching this and is there 
uh, opinion swayed one way or the other. Um, but I think that subsect is very small. So, you know, I, while I think, uh, you know, there's a lot to pay attention to and digest in these hearings, I'm not sure it's going to make a, a big difference um, in, with the electorate. Well, that latter point, Shane, very interesting. And, of course, as you pointed out, a lot outstanding with this story. More to come. I'm sure a lot of runway ahead of us, and we'll track this one very closely. Though, Shane, thank you very much, as always, for dropping by, keeping us informed on a range of important topics within the Beltway and beyond. And we'll look forward to picking back up with our conversation again soon. Sounds good, Dan. Uh, Thanks for having me. And I would say I noticed there are only two teams in baseball to have more than 40 wins. (laughs) It's been a fun ride so far, but there's a lot of baseball ahead of us. Anything can happen. So we'll catch up more and see how our teams do in the weeks and months to come. But Shane, thanks as always for your time, and we'll catch up again soon. Very true. Thank you, Dan. And again today, we've been joined by Shane Lieberman, Federal Affairs Manager with the UBS U.S. Office of Public Policy in Washington, D.C. So as a reminder to our listeners and their clients, please be sure to reference the latest Washington Weekly publication, which can be located up on UBS.com forward slash Washington Weekly. The Washington Weekly podcast is part of the UBS In The Now podcast channel, which is available where podcasts are found, including on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, Stitcher, and Pandora. Visit UBS.com forward slash studios to view the entire podcast offering, as well as the new UBS trending video series. From UBS Studios, I'm Dan Cassidy. Thank you for joining us. The information in this discussion has been prepared by and reflects the opinions and various investment views of the speaker. UBS Financial Services, Inc. has not independently verified such information and does not guarantee its accuracy or completeness. This information is being provided to you for your information purposes only and does not constitute a recommendation or an endorsement by UBS Financial Services, Inc. of the author, the securities, or views stated herein. Any specific security Securities discussed should not be considered a recommendation or solicitation to buy or sell any particular security. You should not assume that any investment in any of the securities was or will be profitable. UBS Financial Services, Inc. or its affiliates and its employees are not affiliated with any third-party speakers mentioned. UBS Financial Services, Inc. offers investment advisory services in its capacity as an SEC-registered investment advisor and brokerage services in its capacity as an SEC-registered broker-dealer. Investment advisory services and brokerage services are separate and distinct, different in material ways. We are governed by different laws and separate arrangements it is important that clients understand the ways in which we conduct business, that they carefully read the agreements and disclosures that we provide to them about the products or services we offer. For more information, please review the PDF document at UBS.com forward slash relationship summary. UBS Financial Services, Inc. is a subsidiary of UBS AG, member FINRA SIPC.